You're listening to Fireside with Founders, the podcast that gives you a behind-the-curtains insight into the journeys of some of the world's coolest startups and their amazing founders. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Fireside with Founders. Uh, This week, I'm joined by Caitlin Fritz, uh, who's a co-founder of Musemio. Hi, Caitlin. How are you doing? Hi, great. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for coming on. Uh, so just a very brief introduction. So Museumio are a uh, history and arts application that allow children to explore the history and, and arts through VR, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely right. Yeah, we are a mobile app that allows culture to come to life for kids age 7 to 11 through mobile virtual reality. Amazing. So I guess that's a very brief introduction to the, the business, but can you tell us a bit more about what you guys do and, and how you're perhaps different to your other ed tech platforms out there? For sure. So what makes us different is we have been on a mission to make arts and culture more accessible for children. And we do this by tapping into the technology of today, which is mobile VR. So our team takes different artifacts, histories, narratives from um, that are inspired by museums across the world and gamify them for kids. So it's more than just, you know, seeing an ancient piece of pottery. You get to hear the story of the warrior behind it. And we've come to realize that that really excites kids, gets them really motivated to go back and see these artifacts in real life. And for us, it's just a great opportunity to kind of break down those barriers in the arts. Amazing. And what was the sort of the idea behind the business then? Sort of where did you have that that moment where you came up with the the concept? So I have to admit, it was not my original concept. My co-founder, Olga Kravchenko, actually proposed Museum 2.0 in her uh, master's university days, which was a game to be experienced for museums. And we met at a University of London-wide hackathon um, in the winter of 2018. So I was the only one who showed up on one of these snowy events. And um, I come from more of an education and ed tech background. And I saw her kind of MMVP and realized that this could have so much more potential having some education background behind it. And we basically blended those two ideas together and Musemi was born. Amazing. And in terms of the, the platform itself, what was the, I suppose, the thought process to, to aim it towards that specific age bracket? Yeah, so kids that age are really fun, really engaged, still have that imagination that believes in the magic, um, but are cognitively at a point where they can understand more in-depth concepts. So you can talk about, you know, the Great Fire of London or, you know, the moon's missions and they understand, but they still fall in love with the gamey aspect of it. Okay. So it's all about them being able to be part of something that's been gamified and then learn. Yeah, absolutely. And and we think, you know, the younger you are, And the more you can be exposed to these arts, that's something you can carry with you all the way out through teenagehood and adulthood. Absolutely. As a parent myself, having 
watched endless hours of children's TV and looking at lots of applications that are out there. There's not a lot that brings, you know, arts and culture to the forefront. So I could imagine, you know, looking at, at the business, it's, it's quite a unique platform comparatively. There's not much out there that's, that does the same sort of thing. Yeah, and, and there's the Google Arts and Culture, which is tailored more towards millennials. There's Google Expeditions. Um, another player is Mel Science, which is VR meant for STEM subjects. But you're absolutely right. The arts and history, I mean, those are great stories to tell, and they're just not being told to this audience in a way that engages them. Yeah. And so going back in terms of your, your background, you mentioned earlier Obviously, you'd been involved in uh, sort of, you know, teaching and, and research yourself as well. No, I'm not. So I'm a very atypical one in ed tech. So I come from two generations of educators. I appreciate the hard work that goes into teaching, but I fell in love with more of the back end side. So the technology, um, you know, innovation in the classroom, specifically in arts. So my background is actually in the arts history. But throughout my university days and my master's, I've always been drawn to ed tech companies that are really on the forefront of changing that interaction with teaching. And so what then sort of led you to, to sort of move more into the, the technology space then overall from, from going into that, that sort of that pattern and that degree? Where, where did you get the passion from? Well, I think... One thing that really drew me was the accessibility, like how many people have a smartphone, especially with kids nowadays, like how many 11 year olds do you know with a smartphone? Uh, probably their parents old iPhone or something. And it's something just so ubiquitous that if we can just encourage them or inspire them using a device they already have, you know, what kind of impact can that make? And I think technology is something, you know, though having a non-traditional entrance, it's really, it has that social impact power that, you know, you can't really see when you're knee deep in the code, but, but it's just, I don't know. It, it's great to just see, you know, that little box that we're all glued to, you know, change someone's perspective. Absolutely. It's yeah, a, a huge part of everyone's everyday life at the moment, isn't it? Having a, a phone and even more so now I'm, I'm loath to bring up COVID again, but uh, it's a constant it's true. conversation. <laughs> it's still there. Um, but how's that had a, an effect on, on your business? I'd imagine perhaps maybe in a positive way of, you know, there being a necessity for something like that. Yeah. So when we originally planned our roadmap this year, uh, it was very much, we had events and live workshops and pop-ups with different museums. And obviously that came to a halt and our marketing strategy pivoted, but it has been a good response because parents are looking for at-home learning for their kids. And we've been able to pivot, you know, our, our in-person workshops to online, partnering with different libraries, just to really, you know, inspire those kids out there. Um, but once again, it's, we're, we're all in it together at this point. <laughs> Have you seen a, a bigger increase in terms of usage on the, the platform over the course of the last few months? Yeah, we have. And we think um, a lot of that does have to do with the at-home learning. And it's not, you know, it's fun learning. It's not times tables, so to say. And um, what's been great for us is we've been able to dialogue with those children in our live events. And we also offer podcasts because we realize, you know, as um, I'm the proud aunt of two beautiful nieces, but, you know, my sister doesn't have 10 minutes to prepare, you know, 
lunches in the morning. So we actually took some of our stories and made them into short form podcasts that are family friendly to put on while, you know, families are busy. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's one of the big things that family life creates, you know, a busy time for, for most people out there. Um, so if you, there's anything you can do to try and make life easier and give people back some of that time, I imagine it's going to be a huge benefit to them. Absolutely. And, and so looking at the, the long list of uh, awards that, that you guys have, have won, um, it's pretty impressive. Um, you know, some, some really sort of big promising uh, awards there to, to help you guys sort of push forward. Do you, do you feel that that's helped you in terms of getting the platform out there to other people? Yeah, I think, um, once again, awards are, uh, I mean, we're really humbled and honored to have that recognition and, and they do help us leverage and get publicity for bigger contracts or programs that we want to be a part of. Um, but I think no matter what, like anyone in our team says, we'd much rather have, you know, that experience of a kid going through our product than any kind of plaque, <laughs> so to say. Um, but it does really help you get your name on the radar when you are a smaller company in such a tech hub like London, like you, you have to stand out in the crowd. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to, to anyone else who's, I suppose, looking at trying to stand out from the, the crowd as uh, you know, perhaps they're a new founder or they're looking at starting a business? How do you feel they can actually differentiate themselves by perhaps maybe is it, is it looking at awards or is there something else that, that they can do to help themselves put the head above the parapet? Yeah, I think from an early day, we realized that Olga and I were the faces of our business far beyond there was before there was a product, you know, people knew us as Musemio before Musemio was born to the public. And I think so often founders forget that you can be a thought leader before you've even launched, you know, you can have your say in forums and online and the power of LinkedIn. And for us, we leverage that. My background um, has a lot to do with communication. And I think there's so many amazing products and founders and stories out there, but you have to communicate that to the audience, which I think sometimes is just the most difficult task. So I would say those things. And, and how have you gone about being able to communicate that to different audiences? You mentioned LinkedIn there. That's obviously one, one platform that pretty much everyone tends to use in business, but, but what other things have you done that have helped you do that? So for us, um, we've been very engaged in times where we can comment as well in the press. So obviously we're two female founders in a female led team. So we, we kind of have our own stance on that within the immersive reality space. We've also participated in conferences and different events, both virtual and non-virtual. Uh, as well as, you know, just having a presence on something as easy as medium. You know, there are ways as a founder that at no cost you can get your voice heard. And, and for us, it's been experimentation, but we've kind of found our niches where we are. And you mentioned there, obviously, so both two female founders in a very tech-driven world. Now, there's no, no hiding behind the fact that actually that's not that common, unfortunately, in this, this day and age still. Uh, unfortunately, we find ourselves in a very male dominated tech environment so do you think that's that's helped you in some shape or has it been a, almost a, a hindrance of you are there things you struggled with within that environment so i think it just for us it depends on the audience um obviously you can find any research online about you know the funding that goes to women founded teams or teams with people of color um 
things need to change within that space. And I feel like sometimes we have had to work or validate twice as hard to get that same level of respect from other teams. But it also allows us to utilize our voices to make those changes, you know, for other female founders or future founders down the road. Uh, because, you know, you, you want to be part of the solution. Uh, and I think that has been a huge positive for both of us. And looking at that solution, how do you think we can get to a better place? Because I find that a really interesting topic of conversation, and I'm sure other people will as well, um, as to how we can get to a solution. Because I don't see any answers out there at the moment that are sort of glaringly obvious. So what are your thoughts? Uh, I think one thing that has become more and more apparent is starting early. Um, I think you have to look at, if you look at female entrepreneurship, it's not something that is, you know, so to say, glamorized the same way as the Elon Musks or the Jeff Bezos, um, who are your typical examples of entrepreneurship. Um, for me, I didn't want to be associated with the word entrepreneur for two years because I was not that mold. Um, but when you expand that narrative of what an entrepreneur is and fitting more women and people of color and non-traditional entrepreneurs into that narrative, that's going to be one of the driving forces. And I think with VCs, investors, uh, angels, having more office hours, having more opportunity, trying to promote that equity. Um, I, I don't think there is an overnight fix. Um, I think, you know, they will still invest in stellar companies, but I think we need to have more standardization amongst the sphere. And also just, you know, women promoting women. I think it's amazing when I meet uh, female VCs who, you know, in their own time volunteer to help, you know, refine the pitch deck because they know sitting on the other side of the table. So I, I don't think there's a one size fit all answer now but i'm hoping with all of these steps lined up we can kind of make that change absolutely i think it's definitely needed as you say that you know i still can't believe that we're we're talking about this but then you know it's been going on for how many years now uh, and we're still no no further forward we're, we're making actually say to say we're no further forward is probably unkind we are making better steps and you know there's been more progress across the board but uh, there's still lots of work to be done. And, and I think you're absolutely right of saying that, you know, other, other people from within, you know, women helping women, people of color helping people of color, it seems to be the, the way that it needs to happen in some way, shape or form to help other, other people rise from within the ranks, you know, from being a, a white male from a privileged background, it's very easy for me to, to sort of perhaps be blinkered comparatively to, to the rest of the world out there. And that's probably part of the problem as mm -hmm. I see it. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I was a foreign woman in a completely different country <laughs> trying to raise money. Um, and I think that's when it became glaringly obvious that, you know, no matter where you are in the world, we, we still just need to push for that change. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what has been the biggest challenges that you guys have faced uh, over the, the last, what, two and a half, nearly three years from, from setting up? So I think for us, um, it, it has, we have an incredible team and we have um, incredible advisors, mentors, supporters behind us. But I mean, as a tech company, you will always have your technical hiccups along the way and those growing pains and those nights endlessly staring at the app store update, um, as well as, you know, funding opportunities. For us, we, we needed to hit certain targets given our industry um and going through that for the first time myself 
I didn't realize how you know difficult that whole process is. Um, but we've really come out the other side. And I think now moving forward, all of those are just, you know, learnings. I, I, I tell people, you know, we, we have failed so many times <laughs> that, that, but, but those are what kind of keep you moving forward. And as long as you learn um, and just don't make that same mistake twice, is kind of what we're going for. hundred percent. I think that most businesses, if you talk to their, their founders or even people in internally about looking at how they've learned, it's through those failures. Right, Absolutely. <laughs> I can't tell you. Uh, yeah. So, and I think, that that's one thing as a founder, you have to stop and reflect and just also recognize how far you've come. Cause there's always another mountain. There's always another something to climb, but like where we were at least in 2018 to where we are now, like we're two different people as well as a different company. Yeah. Amazing. And, and what would you say if there was a, a moment, uh, as a, as a failure, if I can ask the way you can say, Oh God, I wish that hadn't have happened, but actually you've learned from it. And at the time it, it seemed like the world was going to crumble, but, but now you're all the better for it. Yeah. So I think one of the big ones was we were having a really big release. We were so excited, you know, everything was going to plan. Um, we thought we left enough buffer room for this big release, sent out the press releases. I mean, we were ready to just, you know, the next day alert everyone. And we got an email um, from, I think it was, the Google store or the Apple store, one of the two, there's like, Oh no, there's an error. And you know, it's calling that help service line at 9 PM recanting press releases being like, no, it's not going live tomorrow. Um, and now, you know, we have a, a, a double buffer room for anything like that to ever happen, especially because when you're in a tech business that can ruin the whole, you know, the whole parade for you. So um, it was very humbling. Uh, it was a rough day, but um, now we have way longer working timelines to just account for that and you know, learn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's probably one of those things that on the inside from the business, it felt like everything was falling apart. But actually, externally, people probably didn't really notice too much comparatively. Um, you know, the, yeah. the world wasn't so bad. Yeah, and it's one of those decisions as a founder, you have to you know, you're, you're, you're sitting on the edge and you're like, well, we can hope that it all goes through by midnight or just, you know, bite the bullet and, and say it's going to be two weeks late and pull it back. And, you know, I remember calling Olga um, and I was just like, we, we, we have to, you know, because when you're a founder, you have your reputation. And if you lose that, you know, that's so difficult to build back as a, as a small startup. Yeah, agreed. Um, and, and where do you take the business from here? What, what's next for, for Musemio? So we are really excited. We actually were Innovate UK COVID grant recipients. So we've been hard at work researching and refining our technology. Um, this will allow our uh, games and adventures to be played on multiple devices, which allows us to reach more and more kids. Um, we have a few exciting partners lined up you know, in the pipeline that we're excited to launch by Christmas. And it's really just, you know, getting that content and those experiences out there and just keep building up our library uh, of adventures for kids. And we're excited. I think there's a lot coming down the pipeline. Yay. Um, but that's what I can comment on now. <laughs> okay, cool. 
And, and uh, I suppose as a, a parting bit of wisdom, perhaps, for, for anyone listening, what would you say to anyone out there as a, you know, a piece of advice if they are, again, you know, looking at starting a business or they have a business as a, as a founder, co-founder? Um, what would you say perhaps your biggest learn is and a piece of advice you can offer to someone? So I, I think there's two that come to my mind at the moment. And the first one was really counterintuitive for me, which is tell people about it. You know, people just want to sit on their idea, hide it in the closet until it's ready, you know, and perfect. And, you know, I've come to realize that if you go to a networking event or talking to people and you're saying, hey, I'm working on this project, I'm building this business. It's fascinating to know who knows who. And the amount of connections and um, resources and advisors we've got just by being open. And you also get live feedback, you know, before you spent the money time to make it perfect. And that was something really counterintuitive. But I tell founders, you know, don't be afraid. Execution wins. You know, tons of people had ideas. It's who executes best. And I think the second one is... Um, really celebrate the wins. Like I still have all of my notebooks from 2018 with all of our ideas and, you know, all of the meeting notes and you look back and you realize all of the wins that you've had that you didn't even realize were wins. And I think so often um, it's those mistakes and those failures we linger on instead of, you know, signing that first contract or getting the first user. And those are monumental. So many people don't even reach that point. So just to really soak in the journey, because that's what it is. Entrepreneurship's a journey and, and you better buckle up. So, so those are my two pieces of advice. Amazing. I, do you know, I think that's so, so important, that, that sort of last piece of celebrating the wins. And uh, I'm sure there's many people out there who will be listening who will say, actually, I wish I'd celebrated this win before. I certainly know myself from founding the business that I've got. I wish I'd celebrated some of the early wins more than I did, because as you grow you always do the same thing, but then I probably need to listen to that advice now when I'm not celebrating the other wins that we have and go, but you just want to do more and keep mm -hmm. going. Um, so sound piece of advice there. Thank you. Thanks. Um, and if people are, are listening and they want to, to follow your journey a bit more, um, where can, where can they find you? I'm assuming they can download the app on the app store, Apple store, Google store. Yeah, so you can download the app on Google Store and Apple Store. You can visit us at www.musemio.com and follow us on all of our socials. Amazing. Well, look, Kayleen, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, hope for, to see more success from Musemio moving forward. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Caitlin for coming on today's show. Next week, I've got Karim Dahali, CEO and founder of Investor, uh, a uh, technology-driven financial trading app. Um, lots of things to talk to him about, so I uh, hope you can join us soon.